All right. First of all, welcome to Mountain View College Ministry. We're so glad that you're here. If I haven't met you before, my name's Adam. I'm one of the residents here at the church. And let me just start off by saying that if you're new or newish, we're so glad that you're here. We so appreciate you coming tonight. Um, as Micah said, tonight is the start of a new series that we have simply titled Day, or, uh, Singleness, comma, Marriage, comma, Sex, comma, and Dating. Okay? It's a four-week series. Now, you might have noticed that as you came in, you got a little uh, QR code. This is what this is for. At the end of this series, the last night, you're going to get the chance to submit throughout all four weeks questions about what we're saying about singleness, comma, marriage, comma, okay? So have that ready, because tonight is going to be about singleness, and have that ready and zap it and submit questions as they come, and at the end, after the final sermon on the fourth week, we will address said questions. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, Adam, hasn't that dude not been single since like 2007? <laughs> to which I would say, yes, actually, it was fall of 2007. In fact, as a young freshman at Azusa Pacific University in LA, I met my wife the second week uh, that I was there. I met her um, at a club in LA. Um, it was a Christian club. <laughs> it's not a thing. It's not a thing, and if you find one, don't go, it's a trap, okay? Uh, but it wasn't a club, it was actually an under, as 18 and up club, which is even weirder, but you know, you're 18 as a freshman, so. Met Joni there, and then within two months, three months, uh, we were dating, my freshman year. And then about three months after that, I thought to myself, bro, I think this is it. I was like, I don't know how this happened, but I think it's game over. Like, I couldn't believe it, honestly. And uh, I found her early. And so you might be saying to yourself, well, why is the guy who hasn't been single for 15 years <laughs> preaching the sermon on singleness? Well, I have good news for you because I, I, let me just remind you the job of the preacher. In my view, the job of the preacher is two things. Number one, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And number two, to preach the word of God. And so tonight, we're going to see what the word of God has to say about it. But first, there's something that you need to know. There's some big changes happening in the United States. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> that was senior year. We were engaged. Oh, and by the way, we got married the month after we graduated. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have a single college life. But that was us during engagement. Before I forgot about that pic. Um, there's something happening in the United States that you might not be aware of. Okay, check this out. So I don't know how well you can see this, but on the far left is 1960. And what it says is that in 1960, only 15%, 15% of American adults never got married, okay? Fast forward to 2010, that number has almost doubled to 28%. People over 18 years old, 28% of adults in the United States weren't getting married at all. And now, in 2020, it's over 30%. Almost a third of adults in the United States are now uh, are single. That is double what it was um, in the 60s. Double. Now, beyond that, um, the age that people are getting married, when they do get married, is like advanced six years. Average age for a guy now, when he does get married, is 30 Okay, your facial hair has come in by then. <laughs> Average age for a lady is 28. Okay? One third of American adults are single. Now, this is a, a massive change. And look, it, it keeps going that direction. And here's what that means for you, okay? Here's what that means. It, it means if you have not experienced singleness, like you experiencing singleness is probably going to be a longer period of your life than it has been in previous decades. And not only that, even if you end up do getting married, you're probably going to have a lot of friends who you know and love that ever do. Now, we could talk about what's inside of that 30, 32% of people that are single as adults. You know, a lot of them are probably living with someone or different situations. But singleness in the United States, for us, is a much bigger part of our reality than it used to be. 
a much bigger part of our reality. So it really matters. I want you to do something for me real quick. I just want you to close your eyes, okay? Close your eyes with me. I want you to envision something for me, okay? When I say the word singleness, what comes to your mind? What do you associate it with? Maybe it's a word, maybe it's a phrase. What feelings, what emotions? I want you to pay attention to your emotions when I say the word singleness. What emotions are evoked? What if I said 30 and still single? What emotions are evoked now? What if I said single for life? What words come to your mind? How do you feel? Open your eyes. I always forget. I got to tell everyone to open their eyes. <laughs> and so it brings us to this really, really important question. What perspective should we have on singleness? What should we think about it? If it's going to be such a big part of our reality, such a big part of our life, how, how do we place it? What, how do we value it? What should be our perspective on singleness? Well, I think the Bible has some really wonderful things to say about it. And we're going to read it together right now, okay? I'm going to open to 1 Corinthians 7, 25 through 40. I think it's that 16 verses. Um, but if you want to, it's going to be on the screen, so you can follow along there or you can uh, follow along in your own Bible. This is what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 25 through 40. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, that is Jesus, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles. And I would spare you that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those that buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let him marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart... Being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, as he has determined in his, uh, as and as and has determined this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment. She is happier if she remains as she is. And I think that I too have the Spirit of God. That is the central passage in the New Testament, really in the whole Bible, about singleness. Now, uh, here's the first thing that I want to point out to you. It's the first um, verse here. Look at what he says. Now, concerning the betrothed. Now, in case you weren't able to kind of put two and two together here, actually, most other English translations don't use betrothed. They use um, virgin. So it's a word that can mean a couple different things. Betrothed implies that they're engaged. It can mean that. But really, ultimately, what it means is they're not married. We're talking about singles, people that aren't married, men or women. Now, the other thing you might have noticed, now concerning the betrothed, you might have seen this elsewhere in the New Testament. Paul does this sometimes because, you see, the New Testament is, in general, circumstantial. What do I mean by that? I mean, they're letters written to specific people for specific reasons, at specific time, specific place, addressing specific things. It's specific. And you can actually see, I think it's actually earlier in Corinthians, where he says, now concerning the matter which you wrote, and he's using the same trigger phrase here. Now concerning the betrothed, the virgins, the unmarried, 
So what does that mean? It means the Christians in Corinth, because this is the first letter to the Corinthians in the New Testament, the Christians in Corinth had written to Paul asking him about the unmarried. They had some questions about it. Who knows what they had to do with it? I think we're going to get a little bit of visual here in what he just said. But the point is, is that he's addressing singleness very, very directly. Now, this is the context that he gives. He says, in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. What does he mean by this present distress? Well, a lot of people think different things. It's hard to know. Some people think it was maybe a famine that they were dealing with, 50, 51, 52 AD, something like that. Maybe it was war. Maybe it was something going on specific to Corinth. This is the context in which he's speaking into this present distress, and he begins with it as a reason for singleness. Because apparently, in some distressing situations, it's easier to be single. I mean, that makes sense, right? If there's a famine, you just got to feed yourself. You don't have to worry about a family, a spouse, 2.5 kids, whatever you got. It's easier. If there's a war, you don't have to worry about anyone coming and knocking down your house and taking your family, okay? If there's any kind of crazy thing, if there's a zombie apocalypse, you don't, like, if you don't have kids, you don't have a wife, it's just easier. Like, my two, if there was a zombie apocalypse and the zombies came to my door, my two-year-old, I don't want him around. I just want to fight the zombies by myself. You get what I'm saying? He can't even handle the vacuum. What's he going to do when the undead shows up? Okay? It's easier in some distressing situations to be single. This is the context in which he gives. This is how he starts. And then he begins to move into the case for singleness. The case for singleness. And he starts with verse 26, this present distress. And then he moves to this. The time is short. Focus on the eternal. This is what he says in verse 29. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. A lot of people think what he means by this is Jesus is coming back. And for us as Christians, we don't know exactly when Jesus is coming back. So we live in this constant imminence that it could be at any moment. Today could be our last before he takes us home and brings judgment and renewal to the earth. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. And so then he says this, for the present form of this world is passing away. This is kind of his second point. There's not much time left. The world as we know it is passing away. And then he kind of gives all these things. Those who mourn, don't live as though you're mourning. Those who rejoice, don't live those who, as you who rejoice. As though who buy, as though they had no goods, who deal with the world. Like, think about, and when I see this, I'm thinking about, like, your job. You got your day job. You're going to this. And, and the first one that he says, those who have wives live as though they have none, which is kind of like, what? <laughs> and, I, I mean, listen, I can tell you what he doesn't mean. One of the great things about the Bible being as big as it is is you can go elsewhere in it to see what other parts mean. So I can tell you for sure what he doesn't mean. He doesn't mean abandon your family. Why? Because in Ephesians says, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. What did Christ do for the church? Oh, he died and was tortured and killed for it? Okay, so you need to do that for your wife. Okay? First Timothy 5, the one who does not provide for his family has denied the faith especially the one who has not provided for his own household. In other words, if you see someone who has a family, people living in the house, and they don't provide for them, they're not, if they're not providing for them, it's obvious they're not a Christian because that is so basic. Okay, So we know that he doesn't mean this when he says those who have wives live as though they had none. So what does he mean? Well, to some extent, in our temporal various circumstances in life, we always need to seek the eternal and be mindful of the eternal over the temporal. So, uh, I'm gonna, so here's my best two examples of this that I thought of. So, you know, if you have a job and you have to go to work 40 hours, 50 hours, whatever you have to do every week, you know, I was, I was talking to a guy the other day. He's, this is a part of his temporal gig. He's got to provide for himself. He's got to earn money. Um, but he had this opportunity to go abroad and to serve a needy people group and to share the gospel with this people group that hadn't heard it. But, you know, I mean, especially if you're coming right out of college, you get like two weeks of vacation, bro. That's all you get. And he wanted more time. So he was like, yo, can I, pick, can I take X number of weeks unpaid? And they were like, uh, I guess. <laughs> but he wanted to do that. He had an op a unique opportunity to seek uh, something eternal in the midst of his temporal, and he took it. 
Um, the other thing that I was reminded of the other day, uh, I have a bunch of friends, you know, that I met just out in town, and one day, and they invited me to go downtown with them, like to the bars and stuff. Now, I'm 33, two kids and a wife, and they're like, yo, can you come out at Friday at 8 p.m.? I was like, and I told my wife, I was like, yo, I want to, what do you think about me going out Friday, spending time with these folks, and, you know, you putting the kids down, and then I come back, I don't know, like 11, maybe? She was like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Why? Because I love these folks. All of them did not know the Lord, and I wanted to grow my relationship with them. And, and by the way, so I, I did that, and I had one beer, and the next, they kept moving from bar to bar, so the next bar I ordered cheese curds, because I'm not going <laughs> to, yo, I'm not going to violate. I, I want to be with them, but I'm not going to compromise on God's call on my life as it relates to alcohol, which is moderation or not at all, depending on the situation. And I, um, it, so eventually, so I met all these people that night, and over the course of the next basically year, I, I've had a dozen gospel conversations with them. One of them got saved, okay? Now, look, it's, I know, it's amazing. It was only recently, too. And, and so, look, like, is, is it normal for a married guy with kids like me to go out without his wife late with Friday with all these people? I mean, not necessarily, but it, I just saw it as a unique opportunity, right? So for all of us, no matter where we find ourselves, we have to find opportunities to seek and invest in the kingdom and the eternal in the midst of the temporal. In the midst of the temporal, okay? Here's his next. So we got this present distress. We got time is short. Focus on the eternal. Here's his next one. Ready? Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. Okay? This is what he says in verse 28. Worldly troubles, and then he repeats it in verse 32. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord. The married man is anxious about worldly things. Um, and later in verse 34, the woman who's single is able to focus on holiness and body and spirit, which implies, the next point here, singleness has less worldly concerns, which apply, implies point number four. They're more focused. They're able to be more focused. This is what he says in verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. There is a sense in which you can be more focused. By, by God's grace, I actually got to witness this pretty early on. When I was coming out of high school into college, the Lord I'll just summarize it by saying the Lord was disciplining me in my sin. This is one of the things that a loving God does to the sons and daughters who call on his name, who've put their faith in him whom he loves. He disciplines them of their sin and makes them more like himself and changes them. He was in the middle of doing that for me, and it was a really painful season. I was lost. I was spinning out in the ocean. And the Lord brought this guy into my life. He's, he was like 45 at the time, and he was single. And he was a youth pastor at not even the church that I was going to, at a different church. I started spending time with this guy. And, I mean, to be frank, he, I, I think he's the, the holiest, most faithful, most righteous person I've ever met, ever. I, I, I don't even know who else is in the category with him. Like, that's how impressed I am by this guy's godliness. And, you know, he had dated, but he had remained single into his 40s and was content with it. It wasn't that he didn't want to date, but he had felt God's call in his life, and he was living that out. And you know what? I got to benefit so much. Like, anytime I needed anything, I was like, dude, I'm going through this thing. What do you do? He's like, you're free tomorrow, 5 a.m.? I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just free for me. I, I took cross-country road trips with this guy and all my friends. My other friends traveled abroad to various places doing things for the kingdom of God. Like, he was available, and he was committed, and me and so much of my community benefited from him. He was so wise and so kind and so holy. I can remember just sitting back watching how he interacted with people because so much of my sin was tied up in pride and judgmentalism. And I was watching how this guy interacted with people being like, oh, so that's what humility might look like. He was like this guiding force that God brought into my life that still, by the way, is single. And he turns 60 in a couple months. Okay, I was so blessed. I remember one time I was texting this guy. I was coming back from college, and I was like, yo, are you free? And he's like, oh, no, sorry, bro. I'm, I'm in northwest Iraq. We're serving the Kurds. I was like, what? 
why? And he's like, just because it's a really needy people group. We had this opportunity. We had, we had to go. I was like, dang, <laughs> that is awesome. That's awesome. I'll never forget it. So look, contrast that. I mean, this is what this guy is able to do. This is how this guy is able to serve the kingdom of God day and night. He's meeting with people all day. I mean, he has appropriate boundaries. He's so wise. He's so healthy. I mean, the guy is just, he's doing it right, okay, as far as I can tell. And, you know, I just contrast this with, like, I, Joni and I had to potty train Noah a couple months ago, okay? He's two, and you potty, start to potty train him while they're, when they turn two, or at least you try to, okay? And Joni's like, okay, I've read, like, three books on this. This is how we need to do this, okay? We basically need to give up a whole weekend. You take their pants off so that they know something's up, and then you watch them, and when they start to go, you have to get, put them on the body. You see, good job, good job, good job, you got it. And you clap it up, okay? And I was like, okay, so I just have to watch him all day? And she was like, yeah. I was like, dang, okay, well, let's do it. He's got to get potty trained to the glory of God and the joy of all mankind. It's got to happen eventually. And I was like, okay. And I'm watching his little bum all day, and I'm like, this is terrible. I hate this. And people are calling me like, yo, what are you doing this way? I'm like, no. No. I can't, bro. I, look, I love my, my family. I love my kids. And this is what we got to do. This is just what we got to do. They're like, okay. All right. Um, look, is it, is, it, is it right for me to serve and know his needs? Of course it is. Is it right for me to support my wife in that so that we can, you know, tag team in and the other person sits on the couch and watches him <laughs> run around? Okay? Of course it is. That's the loving, that's the right thing to do. And when Paul's saying you have worldly concerns, a lot of times this is the right concerns for you, okay? It's not that you shouldn't have them. It's that they are now there because of what comes with marriage and oftentimes kids, okay? I literally, I, I wasn't going to say this, but I, I was in the basement right, preparing the sermon today, and he, he, the door has this big crack at the bottom, and he, he shoves his face under the door today, and he's like, Daddy. I was like, what? But Dada's working. And he's like, I want you to come chase me. And I was like, I can't chase you, but Daddy's working. And then he's like, uh, and just starts crying. And I was like, bro, you are proving Paul's point right now. I don't know if you know that. So, look worldly concerns, even if they're right. The case for singleness, this is where we are, the case for singleness, that was its focus. The single person has the advantage in as much as they can focus a little more. And again, it's not wrong for me and my wife to want to serve me, me to serve her, her to serve me, us to serve our kids. Of course it's not wrong, okay? Um, and then he says this, look at what he says in verse 38. He just Look at how direct he is. And he who refrains from marriage will do even better. Look at what he says in verse 40. Uh, one who refrains from marriage does even better. This is the fifth point in the case here. Look at the last one. But if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier. She is happier if she remains as she is. This is Paul's case for singleness. At least six points. What does he do? I mean, literally, uh, I mean, there's like 450, almost 500 English words when they're translated, made to this argument. He repeats some of the arguments like three times. He says it's better. Like, how clear do we need the guy to be? And I, as I'm researching this, as I'm studying for this, you know, some of the, I'm reading through some, I'm truly trying to get this text right. What's he actually saying here? What's he actually mean? And some of, some of the commentators are like, well, you know, I think this is probably just cultural, circumstantial. I mean, the crisis they mentioned at the beginning, I mean, a lot of us aren't living in that kind of crisis, but I'm like, dude, like all these things still apply whether there's a famine or a, a zombie apocalypse or not. It all still applies. It's not, and, and like sometimes you hear it like when people go through this text, like, well, singleness isn't, isn't better. It's just different. And I'm reading this and I'm like, it's different and better. That's what I see. You see something, I, I, like, maybe I'm not smart enough, but it seems clear enough to me. He spends this massive amount of time focused on this argument. And by the way, if you've read the whole book of 1 Corinthians, where he talks about spiritual gifts later, it's the same kind of concept where the gifts, the spiritual gifts, are created to serve the people of God, and some are better at that than others. The gifts, literally, not the people. Some gifts do that better than others. So it's the same concept so what perspective should we have on singleness? 
What perspective should we have on singleness? Here's what I think Paul is saying. Singleness is a gift from God to be held in honor among all and honestly considered as a, as a way of life. Honestly considered as a way of life. What perspective should we have on singleness? And I look at, I know it's, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to swallow. It's kind of like, what the heck? Is this for real? And, and honestly, if, this is, if it is just this clear, which I believe that it is, like going back, go back to your earlier word associations that you were doing when you, when you had your eyes closed and you were thinking about what, does, what emotions does singleness evoke for you? Go back to that and think about that for a while because my bet is that a lot of them were negative. That's what it was for me, if I'm being honest. Like if somebody would ask me when I, was, when I first started dating Journey when I was 18, Somebody's like, yeah, what do you think about singleness for the grace of God the rest of your life? I'd have been like, what? Why would I do that? No, I don't want to do that. Okay, and granted, I hadn't been confronted with this text by that point in my life. But like, it, look, if you grow up, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but growing up, this kind of thing never got talked about. Like, you're talking about singleness, like, it's just not on people's minds unless it's forced on them. Like, you know, it's embarrassing for me to think about the fact that I've never heard it talked about like this. It's embarrassing. I'm like, dude, what are we doing? Like, what happened? You know? Now, look, you might be thinking to yourself right now, but what if I want to get married? What if I want that? Some of y'all already engaged. What if I want to get married? What if I am? I've been married 10 years. Does that make me a second-class person? Does that make me a Second-class Christian, not according to the Bible. I don't know if you saw this, but he layers in four different times the fact that marriage is also a gift from God, okay? Verse 27 through 28, if you have a wife, don't seek to be free. Verse 36, let them marry. There's no sin. Verse 38, he who marries does well. Verse 39, you are free to be married in the Lord. This is one of the great, I mean, especially this last one, this is one of the great things about following Jesus is he gives you this massive amount of freedom, this massive number of ways that you can serve him and bring honor to his name and walk in your purpose, okay? Walk in your gifts. Walk in the desires of your heart, presuming that they're in line with God's desires for you, okay? Um, If you don't believe me, Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Still elsewhere, it says, um, as arrows in a quiver are a man's sons, and happy is the man with a quiver full of them. Still elsewhere, I mean, Paul himself, in a different letter to Timothy, literally says, he's talking about there's some false teachers that have come into the city, and Timothy's having to deal with them. They're teaching false doctrine as it relates to Jesus and the Christian faith. And Paul says, and those guys who, te- who forbid marriage, that's a teaching of demons. If you forbid marriage, it's a teaching of demons. It's not just an a honest mistake. It's not just, oh, this guy doesn't get it. If somebody forbids marriage, it's a demonic teaching. It's from the pit. It's evil. So, Is marriage a gift from God? Absolutely, according to the Bible. Absolutely, which, you know what this means? It means you don't have to disparage either one. You don't have to disparage marriage. You don't have to disparage singleness because both, it turns out, are gifts from God. If we were to crank back this, you know, we did these 16 verses. If we were to go back um, to the beginning of chapter 7, Paul says, look, I, I wish that all were single as I am, but each has his own gift from God. To one of one kind, to another of another kind. The context of that is singleness and marriage. Each has their own gift from God. To one of one kind, to one of another. Marriage is a gift from God, and singleness is a gift from God. And, I mean, look, y'all, y'all think that I don't want to marry some of y'all? Of course I do. Of course I do. Some of you guys can personally testify to me being like, yo, who are you vibing with right now? <laughs> who are you vibing with? Or, yo, you ever thought about such and such? 
yeah, yeah, but I'm scared. Sweet. Time to roll the dice. <laughs> okay? Like, it's a gift from God. I, ch- I chose this, okay? I chose marriage. You want to see my Google review on marriage? I love it. I love it. Look, the greatest gift in my life, the greatest gift in my life is the gospel. What's the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that the Lord Jesus came to earth to save me, a sinner. The one who didn't seek him, never sought him. In fact, I was sought out first by him, and he extended to me the gift of forgiveness and grace to be accepted by faith. He gave me that gift free of charge. That's the gospel, the promise of salvation for those who believe. And not only that, not only the benefit in this life, but in the life to come. Eternity with Jesus, recreated body, recreated heavens and earth, all pain, tears, sin wiped away. That's the greatest gift of my life. But you want to know what the second greatest gift of my life is? You want to know what the second greatest gift is? If you think there's any hesitation for me, any hesitation at all, there isn't. The second greatest gift for me is my beautiful wife. And it was that way since June 17th, 2011. Okay? It's obvious to me. You know what the third greatest gift is? My kids. Okay? Look, in this picture, that's the, my friend, that mentor of mine. His name's Tim. And the thing that I love so much about this picture is there's a man stepping into the gift of marriage. And there's another man who has the gift of singleness, who is also blessing the world with his gift. Okay? Both are gifts from God. Both are gifts from God. But I want to get back to Paul's point. That singleness is a gift, because this is what our text is about. This is what he just spent 450, almost 500 words arguing for us. Kind of matters. And why does it matter? I think it matters so much for us right now because so many of us don't think that. So many of us don't think it's a gift. So many of us are like, yo, I'm, if I'm going to be single for a season, okay, but you can miss me with that the rest of my life. Are you kidding me? I don't want that. That sounds terrible. That, that, that leaves me so dissatisfied to envision that. So discontent. And so this text, this passage that we just went through with Paul becomes all the more important because when we think, when we hear from God's word, when we hear from God's word, from Jesus, singleness is my gift for you. It's so hard to believe that sometimes. And we want to doubt him. Like I was saying, when your eyes were closed earlier, was it positive or negative associations you were thinking about when I said singleness? Single by 30. Single for the rest of your life. Look, maybe, at least for me, we've all had that older adult, older saint, people, person that we love, even a peer our age, maybe it was a parent, who said something like, yo, you have any love interests these days? And you're like, I mean, not really. And they're like, oh. And you're like, Oh. Does that make you sad? (laughs) You know, like, are you disappointed? Because you just looked like you were disappointed. I mean, look, I don't know about you guys, but for me, growing up, when I was hearing the quote-unquote, when I was hearing about the quote-unquote gift of singleness, like, you know, you go up to your pastor and you're like, yo, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? And the pastor's like, well, do you want to be married? And you're like, I mean, I, I think so. And you're like, then you don't have the gift of singleness. And it's like, wait a second. Wait a second. So the gift of singleness is some weird superpower that only some people have? Like it's some weird mythical creature. Do you know anyone to get the singleness? No, I never, but I heard about him. Okay? Like it's some guy with no shirt riding out of the forest on a unicorn with a braided beard. And you're like, hi, what's your name? And he's like, I have never desired a woman. Like, dude, like honestly, is it, that's what was in my mind. That's what was in my mind growing up, the gift of singleness. I ain't never seen that, but apparently it's pretty special. I want you to hear me really clearly on this. 
I don't think that's what the Bible teaches at all. I think what 1 Corinthians 7 teaches is actually much simpler than that. In, in verse 7, and then all the way through 25 through 40, what I think Paul is just saying is this. Are you single? Yeah? Then you have a gift from God. Because the state of singleness is the gift. It's not a superpower. I think that makes way more sense with everything that he just argued. All those reasons that he gave. If you find yourself single, like many of you do right now, and that everyone will experience this. You know, no one's getting married when they come out of the womb. Everyone's going to experience singleness at some point. And if you do, when you do, this is what the Bible says. It's a gift from God. It's a gift from God to be held in honor among all. So I think that's so different to what I understood as the gift of singleness growing up. Because what that means is that for many of us, for all of us, there's a season of that. And for some of us, that season might last our whole lives. So the question then becomes, are you living in such a way that will maximize that? Look, like I said, my friend, the guy who married me, Tim, he, at no point in his life has he been like, I think I, I, think I, I want to and stay single my whole life. At no point has he said that. But you know, if I ask him, are you content with your, I called him a few days ago. I was like, yo, are you content with your singleness? I've already asked him this like 10 times over the past 15 years. Are you content with your singleness? And he's like, you bet I am. He's like, look, if, if some woman walks into my life who's the right fit, I'd be pumped. But it's okay if that doesn't happen. I was talking to another friend, late 30s, who actually does feel, he read through this passage and some of the other passages connect to it, and actually does feel a conviction to remain single. And also with him, there's been some times where he's like, do I want to be single though? And he decided, you know what, yeah. And if you knew what this guy did, you'd be like, oh, wow. I mean, the things that this guy does for the kingdom, dangerous and amazing and incredibly necessary. And the world is blessed by this guy's choice to do that. Okay? Which brings us to the rub. Brings us to the conflict. Singleness is a gift. Okay. What should my perspective on singleness be? That it's a gift from God. Okay. But what if I don't feel that way? What if I feel the opposite? What if I don't feel that way? I mean, look at what he says in verse 35. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint. And yet, so many of us feel so constrained by it, by singleness. Look at what he says in verse 40. She's supposed to be happier if she remains as she is? Why doesn't it feel that way? What if I'm single and I don't feel like it's a gift? I'm discontent. Well, here's the first thing that I think we need to remember. The first thing is that it is kind of what we're doing, honestly, to recognize and acknowledge what the Bible says about singleness and how different that is to what we've experienced in culture, what we've experienced from friends, even the friends that we love, family members that we love, the discontent that they've you know, shown for our sake and even that we've felt for our sake. Culture says such opposite things to this. I was listening to a country song the other day. This is literally the lyric from this country song. I'm a God-fearing Christian man, but if, he's talking about a woman, but if you were a religion, I don't know what I'd do. Yeah, I might have to worship you. That's what this country song said. Dude, when I was growing up, Country was like Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. I'm listening to this. I'm like, this, is, this dude's a pagan. Like, he doesn't even know it. The opening lyric, I'm a God-fearing Christian man. Ending lyric, I might have to worship you, a woman. What? Okay. This guy is, uh, um, <laughs> everything's hitting my filter right now. Uh, he's, it's obvious how foolish this is, Okay. Culture says, if you're single, you probably aren't fulfilled. Think about all the movies. Think about all the songs. If you're single, you don't have your person, you're probably unfulfilled. Or, that secret backside of the coin, no, singleness is actually where it's at. So live up that sexual freedom. Live up the you life. All you got to do is earn money and spend it on you. How is that not way better? I was reading like some celebrities talking about 
talking about singleness, and a lot of them were like, why would I ever do anything other than singleness? <laughs> it's, the culture preaches such a different message than what God's word preaches. And the first thing is that we need to recognize that. First, just recognize and acknowledge, okay, this is what the Bible's saying, so now recognize it outside in real life, out in the wild. Okay, this person is insinuating that I will never be fulfilled if I'm single. Here's the second thing that Paul says. Um, The second thing that Paul says, marriage isn't easier than being single. Marriage isn't any easier than singleness. And look, to, to give you the least romantic thing ever said on Valentine's Day week, I want you to consider something. If some of you, in fact, statistically most of you, will probably step into the gift of marriage at some point in your life. And I want you to consider this. When you say, I do, and you stand in front of that person, and you say, I do, and you commit the rest of your life to them, have you considered that that person will probably cause you more pain than almost anyone else in the world? Why? Well, if you're doing it right, you're going to spend more time with them than anyone else. If you're doing it right, you're going to be vulnerable and share the fullness of who you are in your life with them, which means the armor's off, which means it's easier to get hurt if you're doing it right. You're going to see this person's wickedness, shortcomings, sins more clearly than anyone else in the world. And they're going to take out their sin on you, perhaps, most often. How's that for a Valentine's Day card? (laughs) It's true, though. Look, so many of you, if you haven't experienced this yourself, like family-shattering divorces, look at the divorce rates in the United States. You think marriage is easy? I think most of us know this. Most of us know that it's a challenge, and Paul wants to remind us, dude, marriage isn't this, like, it's not better than singleness. It's not some magic solution, even though it feels like every day culture tells us that it is. People around us tell us that it is. Each has, I mean, and there's a book by this guy named Sam Albury called Seven Myths of Singleness, and he just does this great job fleshing out that singleness has its pluses and minuses, and marriage has its pluses and minuses. This is why both are gifts, and both are going to come with their unique challenges in life. They're not to be viewed Marriage isn't to be viewed as greater than singleness. Each one has its pluses and minuses. That's the second one. Marriage isn't easier than singleness. Here's the third one. Think back to that association. If it was only negative associations when you were thinking about the word singleness, if it was only negative things that you were thinking, it could be because of your own idolatry. What do I mean by idolatry? Idolatry is worship of created things rather than the creator. It's worship of gifts from the creator rather than the giver. Idolatry is worship of anything other than God. That's what idolatry is. And in this context, we're talking about idolatry, the worship of a relationship, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a spouse, a fiancé, whatever it is, you've taken them, maybe, or the idea, the principle, the thought of it, and put it on the throne and expected it to satisfy every part of you. Expected it to fill every need that you have. The Bible calls that idolatry. It's worship of something other than God. And here's the third thing that I want you to consider. If you feel this way, what if I'm single and I don't feel like it's a gift? What if I'm discontent? It could be because of your own idolatry. Now, look, if you saw Jesus tonight, the author of life, Acts calls him. The light of the world, John calls him. The Holy One. If you saw him tonight, you went home, and Jesus was there, and you got to have a conversation with him. And you guys were talking about relationships. Could you say to him, hey, Jesus, I was in your word tonight, and I saw 1 Corinthians 7, what Paul said about singleness. Could you say to him, and you know what, Jesus, like, if this is what you want from me, I'm pumped about it. Could you say that to him? Because if not, if you couldn't say that with authenticity and sincerity, it's possible that in some way you have elevated a relationship, even a specific person, 
onto the throne of your heart where they don't belong. But you know what? Even if you have, and honestly, most of us probably will at some point in our lives, if not now, even if you have, if you're in Christ, if you've put your faith in Jesus, that doesn't separate you from him. Even if you're worshiping an idol and you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, your salvation's not based on how well you do. If you did, you'd be done. If it was based on how well you do and how well you did, you would be done. It'd be over. You'd fail. Because you know what? You're not perfect and you're never gonna be in this life. And so it's okay if, when, if you picture that situation, you're standing before Jesus and you're like, oh my gosh, I, I don't think I can say that to him authentically. If you've put your faith in Jesus, you're under grace. You think Jesus doesn't know how you feel already? He wrote you into existence. He spoke you. He sung you into existence. He knows the deepest part of who you are and how you feel. He knows what's sitting on the throne of your heart if you're packing things next to him on the throne. Now, look, if you're discontent with your singleness and you're thinking to yourself, okay, maybe this is some idolatry that I need to have for Jesus. Here's what I want you to consider tonight. I want you to consider bringing that to him. Because you know what? Like, if you feel discontent in your singleness, just reading through 1 Corinthians 7 like we just did, Jesus doesn't want discontentment for you. Jesus doesn't want discontentment for you. He wants you, Paul's like, you should be happier. And so something's broken here and doesn't feel that way, you can trust him with it. And look, it's probably not, the switch is probably not going to flip tomorrow. But if you start taking steps, handing over that heart disposition to God, asking him, Lord, let me see this the way I know you've called me to see it. If you say to him, I mean, look, I, I don't want to stand before Jesus. And, and he's like, I have this wonderful gift for you that I planned from eternity past because I love you so much. It's this gift of singleness. And for you, it's season. Or for you, it's for your life. I don't want to stand listening to that from Jesus and, and say to myself, I don't believe you. I don't want to be there. Look, I was doing this myself. I, I've been married for 10 years. And you, you don't think it's possible for me to put my wife on the throne? Of course it is. Same thing with my kids. And I'm sitting here trying to pray this, and I'm like, oh my God. Because for me, you know, for me, the only way that I'm going to be single again is if the Lord takes Joni home. That's the only way that's happening. And for me, the most that I could muster as I'm praying this to Jesus is, Lord, keep me from idolatry. And if it's there, please change it. Please. I don't want to do that to you, and I don't want to do that to her. That was the best that I could do because it's freaking me out as I was thinking about it. Okay? And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. It's okay to want a relationship, it's a gift. Dating, relationships, the movement towards marriage. Marriage is a gift. It's okay to want that. You saw Paul say it like four times. The Bible says it elsewhere like six other times. Marriage is a good and wonderful thing. And by God's grace, we'll get to do a lot of your marriages one day. But you need to see singleness the way God has intended for you. Because he loves you. And he wants you to walk in that freedom. Not to mention the fact, like, if you do start taking these steps now... And yet God does call you into marriage later? Think about how blessed that person's going to be when your priorities are right. Think about that. When you're not putting this ridiculous savior burden on their back as they're climbing up Mount Everest with a car that they can't carry because they weren't designed to. God was. He's supposed to sit on the throne, and yet our hearts fight against us, and that's okay. Jesus loves you, and he wants to help. But we've got to start by bringing it to him. we got to start by bringing it to him. And I want to also remind you of this as we get to the end here. Um, the reason, Paul's like, yo, it's basically better, okay? Like, people are going to say for centuries it's, it's not better, but look, I'm saying it's basically better, okay? He makes an argument here, right? Why? Why is it better? The reason is for kingdom focus. The reason is about the kingdom of God. 
There's advantages that come as it relates to the kingdom of God, which means that for us who are single, we need to ask ourselves, wait, is my singleness described like this? Am I using my singleness for the king of glory? Because, yo, it's so easy not to. Instead of being married, you're, you're 25, 30 hours a week of video games. All you got to do is earn that money and spend it on yourself instead of the kingdom of God. For those of you who are single right now, you're in a unique place in life. And I want you to ask yourself the question, am I using it for the kingdom and the glory of the God who loves me like I was designed to? Ask yourself that honestly. And then start to hand over the pieces as he begins to bring them to you. You got freedom. Like my, I was telling you, my friend, he just has so much freedom to serve people. And I, for the rest of my life, I will be blessed by his decision to do that. It's permanently altered who I am in the course of my life. And you have the ability to do that for people. To be Jesus. To represent him. To speak about him to people. For the sake of the kingdom of God. And for all of us, especially those dating, engaged, and or married, the application is, how are you talking about singleness and dating? Are you talking about it the way, are you reflecting God's heart that we see here? Are you reflecting what, are, are, you, are, are you conveying it the way that God would want you to? Or are you joking about it, throwing elbows about singleness, capitulating to the way of the world? in misrepresenting how God feels about it. Because our call is to consider it, um, for one, and then two, to see its value. If you, if you decide to get married, if you decide to date, and you decide to get engaged, you got to continue to see its value and help people with their own paths as they, as they decide for themselves, right? Which gift and which path they will walk, okay? What perspective should we have on singleness? That is a gift from the God who loves you meant for your good, that he wants you to be satisfied in. Not, not discontent, but satisfied as a gift that points to the giver. And same thing with marriage. We're actually going to find out more about that next week. Let's pray.